Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to the Declaration Podcast. My name is Ty DeClaire. Welcome back in today. Yes, let's go. I hope everyone's doing well. It is the week of May 18th. The long weekend. Thank God it was a long weekend. First, I'd like to thank Patreon. Over in the squad, we have Liam Nolan at Liam Nolan, Matt Nafe at Matt Nafe, and Boyan Antonoff at Boyan B. Antonoff. Thank you so much, everybody. Over in the Angels, Angels, we have Chris Pierce at Chris Pierce 103. If you're out, uh, if you're out in, in society today, put on a pair of gloves, pick up some litter. Let's make the world a better place. Would also like to thank Mason Tim at the Bearded Bear ninety five. If you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash the declaration online. Love to have you over there. Love to have you support the show. Join whatever uh, you, you know. Just uh, just help out if you could. You know, that'd be that'd be wonderful. For the mental health check this week. It's, uh, I'll say it all the time, it's, it's been an up and down week. Um, I'm really happy I did have the long weekend. I was feeling, you know, quite fatigued, quite tired going into the weekend here. Um, and, you know, going into the weekend, I'm okay, I'm going to get a lot of sleep. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to do this, do that, and then it's going to be great. And, I mean, like, first day, you know, I, I got off to a fairly productive start. I've been picking away at cleaning throughout the weekend, but more than anything, I'm just kind of left with an awareness of how I choose to depress myself, if that makes sense. I like to look at a lot of things in life as, you know, in the end, a choice. And sometimes we make choices, which in the end are detrimental to ourselves. For myself, some of the things that I do can lead me to have a better chance of having depressive symptoms, like staying up late, like eating unstructured meals, like being on my phone all the time, like not getting enough sun. So I mean, I'm trying to do what I can throughout the week to, to mitigate that. But, you know, sometimes it's difficult when you have to rely on a self-care plan, but the motivation isn't there to keep up with that self-care plan. Um, so... I guess my focus right now is trying to to add a bit of a safety plan along with that self-care plan where I'm trying to raise my floor rather than raise my ceiling right now, just trying to decrease the amount of time that I can get stuck in the ditch and just try and keep myself running it up at a higher pace. It's kind of the same idea with the squats where I'm doing that 100, 100 days in a row. I'm trying to build habits, trying to build a routine where... Even if I'm not having a good day, my my habits are still going to bring me forward. And I mean, honestly, just one of the things that I can look at for that plan is just being open and honest with my friends and inviting the help when I can get it, but honestly, just unloading those feelings sometimes. Um, I, the opposite of that is being closed off. And, you know, if I'm closed off, I'm not sharing everything that's going on. Some old abandonment issues can come up and it can feel shameful to to not be 100%. And I just I just want to avoid that whole rigmarole because it's it's tiring. It's tiring to go through. I'd rather be open. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to get uh, someone to reach out and, and say, hey. And, you know, one of those people who did that this week was Mama Tim. 
uh, Mason Tim's mom. Happy birthday, Mama Tim. I hope it was a great one. I miss you. I miss uh, miss the whole family. Can't wait to see you all soon. Uh, Mama Tim reached out and she said, hey, you should uh, you should check out this website. This is someone who Mason went to elementary school with. And, you know, he has a cool story. He might be a good podcast guest. So went over to, well, I should preface this. I woke up at like 7.30 a.m. to that message on Friday. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check, out, check it out. So open up the website, check it out. And man, that is one heck of a story. That would be one heck of a podcast guest. So I send out the uh, the DM and, you know, slid into the DMs and uh, Stefan slid back into mine. And here we are uh, a day later recording a podcast. Stefan is an amazing person with an amazing story. And I just love his outlook on life. I love how he's learned from what he's gone through and just the perspective that he can bring to to his day and a lot of useful information. Uh, you know, we talked, we had an amazing conversation. Talked about a lot of topics, mainly, you know, addiction, identity, gratitude, biases. Really just, there's if there's something, there's something in this podcast that you can connect with. I, I guarantee that. I can't wait to listen back to it myself because I was able to relate to a lot of things that we went over in the podcast today. And I was just really grateful to have Stefan on. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Uh, you know, wherever you're listening, like, share, subscribe, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I always try to do some funny things with that, but honestly, just do what you can. Like, I appreciate anything, any kind of support, any kind of shout out, share on social media, anything like that. I really do appreciate it. I wish you a great week. Uh, you know, it's we're going to be going through this quarantine for a bit longer. So keep going. Keep doing what you can for yourself. Get out. Get some sunshine. Get some good sleep. Drink your water. Do what you can for you. I love you. Please welcome Stefan Collinger. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's uh, very serendipitous that this all came together and happened. Uh, very short turnaround, too. Yeah, I, uh, I I slid into the Instagram DMs yesterday morning. I uh, I woke up to a message from Mason's mom, Mama Tim, saying, hey, you should check out this website. This guy has a cool story. <laughs> Might be a good podcast guest. Read the story. Agreed. Send the message. You replied <laughs> back right away. And yeah. Here we are, like what, forty-eight hours later, pretty much. Yeah, recording. yeah. I, I love it. I love it. It is the reality of modern technology. It just yeah. uh, allows us to connect so fast. Yeah, and like we were saying before we started, a small world. Like yeah. going through Mason's mom, um, you being on the Mad Mix with Malik previous to this, <laughs> and knowing Dak, and just there's so many connections. But uh, yeah, how have you been doing over the last like week or so here with everything going on? It's been an up and down week. Um, it has been a very stressful at times week. I'm starting to feel some isolation really hit in because I have not been as good um, with connecting with like friends and loved ones. Like I'm back home with my parents in Ottawa, which is real nice. Hmm. But uh, like I'm used to hanging out with friends normally in, in Toronto and just being able to spend time with them. And I think for like the start of everything happening in COVID, I was like doing okay. Cause I don't know, it hadn't really sunk in, but mm. this past week has been, been rough just cause my job I'm on calls all day. 
right. um, on, on Zoom calls and stuff. So my energy gets sapped from, from that day. And then I, I don't want to like talk to people in the yeah. evening. And so, but I've kind of felt that um, a little bit this week. But then on the other hand, we closed our biggest deal ever, a $200,000 deal, like more than double our entire company's history of revenue in one deal. It's like a global rollout with a large tech company. It's like uh, wild. (laughs) It's crazy how those highs can come with those lows and just trying to, yeah, find the, uh, find the balance between all that. Um, You know, we're going to dive into this more later. I think it's probably best to take a step back and just have you, I guess, tell your story a bit and, and let the people know who you are and, Kind of, I guess, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, that's a, that could be a long, a long story. So I'll try and I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief so we can dig into other parts later. Sounds good. Um, But so I grew up uh, in Ottawa. Um, I was born in Orleans, the French part of Ottawa. And then when grade two moved over to um, like Baseline and Maryville area, Um, grew up Mason, who you mentioned earlier on the podcast, we went to school together, played hockey together, but uh, so I was a very like sporty kid growing up, um, but also was a bit overweight, had red hair. Um, and honestly, I felt like early on, like I had terrible self-esteem. Um, I was not, did not like myself, um, kind of internalized, like going through therapy. Now I've realized this is a lot of internalized bullying um, and just like not feeling good enough because other people would make fun of me or whatever. And, and I'd internalized that over the years. Um, and that through like start of early high school i i found a new group of friends i was constantly going like oh i want to want to meet new people want to like get a fresh start um so it was a a big kind of happened after middle uh, elementary school happened after middle school happened after high school happened after first year so it's just like i've had a lot of like fresh starts Mm -hmm. um if you might call them that and i so in high school i wanted to yeah i was looking for people who kind of accepted me or i felt like comfortable around had that like sense of belonging with um and that just happened to be also people that smoked weed um and so i started started trying it out and i was like oh this is cool this is fun like it's it's chill like we get to laugh it's jokes you know it's just like a very relaxed experience and so i um started getting more into that into the kind of like the drug culture and as i started to explore i would meet like other people who are more into drugs and then drinking and so near the end of high school i started uh drinking more because also i was like wanted to be part of the cool kids i guess and i go to the parties and like drink at the parties but if i smoked too much i would just get like a like a vegetable and i'd just be kind of stoned sitting in the corner and i couldn't talk to girls um and so (laughs) i was like oh this is no fun like i don't want to do this i want to be the life of the party and so um, I started drinking more, I started experimenting a bit with other drugs like MDMA. Um, and that just kind of started like a negative start spiral for me. Cause I, once I tried MDMA, I was like, Oh, this is like, this is amazing. Like I feel on top of the world. I feel like incredible right now. And I, I'm so confident I can talk to anyone I want. Like I I'm, I'm hyped up. I can drink a lot more cause I have all this energy. I don't just turn into a couch potato um and get all burnt out and so i started yeah i started getting into that and in first year university um moved out of ottawa went to toronto uh went to ryerson and i was in residence so i was away from my parents um we'd had some troubled stuff in the end of grade 12 a lot of conflict and so i just really wanted to get out of there i was like i want to get away um i want to be my own person um 
don't want to be so straight edge like you you guys are. And so that was my mentality going into university. And right away, like it started right in Frosh. Like I drank nine days in a row for Frosh week, like met new friends through partying. And that was just like, okay, this is my identity. I am like the the party guy. I will just like drink the most. I will do the most drugs. I will be like that. That's my identity um, throughout first year. And I was so proud of it. Like I had beer pong shirts. I would like go around res, like just like being like, I would be like, Oh, beer pong champ, whatever. And like, it was just like a thing that I took. And like, it it was so toxic. Like I also, I got a, a girlfriend who was also into drinking and drugs. Um, and that's, I just started getting more and more exposed to, um, those communities. And then after I'd been, I'd also started being kind of a, like a dirt bag. Like I was not, I didn't, like looking back, I do not like the person that I became as a big reason that I got sober, but I was just an asshole. Like I was not a very thoughtful person. I was rude. I would take advantage of others. I would like take their feelings with a grain of salt um, and even be aggressive at times. And so like that was kind of who I became. And so the girlfriend and I at the time had many kind of like on and off type things because of me cheating or whatever, just like not, not healthy, not a healthy relationship. And then, um, finally at the end of that, that school year, I moved in with a couple of guys from res, but they went back to Barry. Uh, they were originally from there. They had jobs. So we had an apartment, but now I was all alone in Toronto in the apartment. Um, my girlfriend had gone back to London to, to be with her family because she also wanted to find work there. But eventually, I guess, what was it? a few months into maybe a month into that um i was like oh hey we're we're having challenges like it's so much harder when we're apart like me and my girlfriend i was like you should come move in we, we've got the empty apartment that'll fix like our problems <laughs> does not no, note to no, self no. does not fix problems <laughs> makes problems much worse <laughs> um and so so she came and then I, yeah, I, but I, we had kind of made a pact earlier that I was like, oh, Stefan will not do hard drugs because they make him horny. And so we were, I was like, I will not do drugs when I'm not around you. Um, and I'd been pretty good at that. But then for like a Canada Day weekend that year, she went back to London to be with her family. Um, and so I was like, oh, I just want to, oh, I want to go smoke some weed. So I'm going to go to my dealer's place, get some weed. Um, this will be, this will be great. Um, I get there and he's like, Oh, Hey, do you want a line? Here you go. And I was just like, Oh yeah, of course. Like, this is a great idea. Like, yeah, definitely. And so little did I know, uh, that was ketamine. Um, had not done ketamine before. It really, really messed me up. And I also got, I was like, now that I had some, a little bit of something, I was like, Oh, I want more. So I ended up buying more from him. And then I was like, Oh no, I'm going to be a responsible boyfriend. I'm going to go home. Um, I am gonna gonna not go out tonight. So I didn't. I was like, okay, this is great. Um, so I didn't go out. Went back to my apartment. Um, but then with all the drugs, I was like really horny. And so I ended up actually uh, did not plan to say anyway. I ended up um, hiring a, an escort um, and essentially like paying two hundred and fifty dollars to cheat on my girlfriend at the time, um, which is messed up. Mm. Like that's like fuck like me now looking at that like that is like why like to treat another like a partner that you have like that like pay money to cheat on them it's like mind-blowing to me but that was like the state of my being like that's where I was at um and like she came back the next day 
I was feeling so awkward and weird. And so I told her, um, and obviously she was pissed. She moved out, took all her stuff left. Um, and I, but then that led to a spiral of me hating myself. Like I just, cause I was like, Oh, when I'm sober, I'm a great guy. Like I'm doing everything right. When I'm intoxicated, I'm an awful person and I cheat and I lie and I'm just not a good human being. Um, and so yeah, that really started a really toxic spiral for me where it was like no one, I was home alone in Toronto. All my friends were out of the city. My only friend was my drug dealer. And I would just, that's what I did. I would just like go hang out, go out with him, go to the club, get bottle service, like just be a, like kind of a toxic waste. Like you doing MDMA three, four times a week, blacking out every night. Uh, when I wasn't doing that, I was working night shifts at Jack Astor's on, uh, and like, I literally so dangerous. I should probably, yeah, I'm not going to talk about some of the stuff that happened there, but anyways, <laughs> like it was just like kitchen culture is not healthy. No, um, if no. anyone has worked in kitchens, it is not a healthy place, especially for an addict. Yeah. Um, and so by the end of the summer, my friends had kind of come back and they were noticing it. They like, they were like, they, they were like, yeah, you can't bring him the drug dealer over to our house anymore. It's not cool. Like we, we don't like when he brings this around. And like, these were the people that I had done drugs with throughout the year. Now telling me that I, they were like, yo, dude, you have, you have a problem. You should slow down here and get this checked out. But then finally it was just like one final night. Uh, it was like the, I think the first week of second year university. I just went way too far. Um, I was being really aggressive. I like my ex had a new boyfriend and I wanted to go to a party to see her. And then I saw him and then I punched him and it just got messy and it was just not good. And so by the end of the night, I ended up back at my apartment calling my drug dealer because that was going to fix more problems, right? Um, it's getting more drugs. Um, and I was just angry. And and then I, for some reason, stabbed a sword into the floor of my apartment just because I was angry. Um, that was my brain at the moment. Um, and like my drug dealer came over and then I left to, like my ex called me, heard about some of the stuff that had happened during the night. And she's like, this is not you. It's not normal. I'm picking you up so you don't do anything else stupid. Um, and so I left my drug dealer in the apartment when my roommates had previously said, like, no, do not bring him at all to the apartment. And then they got home. There was a sword on the floor. There was a drug dealer sitting there who they previously said, like, no, get out of this house. Um, and so they called me and they're like, dude, we're kicking you out. Um, mm -hmm. This is it. Like, you got to tell your parents, like, this has gone too far. Um, and so that night I had to call my parents and tell them every, like they knew I would been like doing drugs, not like hard drugs. And they knew I had issue with drinking and they'd been telling me this for a while, but they didn't know the full extent of it. Mm -hmm. So I had to like really unload all of that. Um, mm -hmm. Tell them about it. Cause I was getting kicked out. Like I, 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 that night, that was the night where I got sober. Um, that was the night where I was like, I need to fix this. I was looking in the mirror like I was strung out on Coke and M and I was just staring in the mirror and being like, what have I done to myself? Like, mm -hmm. who am I? I don't recognize this. Like I grew up in a great home, great parents, great grades, like athletic, like all these great things. And like, why am I standing here in this random shitty apartment with like, uh, like this mm -hmm. toxic body? Like, what am I doing? Um, and so I went to AA the next day and I got a sponsor I met someone, I picked up my, my chip, still have those somewhere in a box, <laughs> There's yeah. somewhere, um, picked up my chip and 
I, that, I just started doing the work. Um, so that was five and a half, roughly five and a half years ago. It was September 6, uh, 2014, actually almost six years now, I guess like five, five and three quarters. Yeah. I, I don't know. I stopped kind of counting the specifics a while back, <laughs> That's but like, it's that was the that was kind of the that was the night and then from there um i said i was going to be brief and then i just got into it and it was not uh, brief, i love but, it i love it yeah <laughs> no i love it um and you but, and i have the same version of brief so i, 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 I love it. yeah <laughs> perfect and so then it gets more positive i um i was i was back at school was second year i got a job working at like five guys just to be stable like get some good routine in there, earn a bit of money, pay off the debt. Oh, that was another thing I did. Like, I'm, I don't know. I like spreadsheets. I did a retroactive look at how much money I spent. Like I worked at Jack Astor's for a full summer, earned like $6,000. My debt increased by $4,000 in a summer. Like, and that I was not spending, like I was eating less because I was doing drugs. Like I literally like in a year, I spent $14,000 on drugs and alcohol. Hmm. as like a, and that was my student line of credit. That was not good. I, yeah. I just paid that off like last year. Um, and so I had spent way too much money on this. And then in, in but in, in second year, got my grades back, um, was really like dedicated, like working. I was just like kind of threw myself into school, threw myself into the gym, got into the best shape of my life, um, was really uh, kind of obsessed with that. And then move into kind of student groups, student societies, because I felt, I was like, oh, I'm behind now. Like I need to catch up, get myself in there. I wanted to work in the sports industry, um, started to get involved with the Sports Business Association and really kind of just being very like kind of going out there and taking it, like being aggressive and ambitious with my goals. Um, from there, got into the startup world. Um, so I started working at a couple sports technology startups, uh, kind of as the at first a marketing intern and then like the first full-time marketing employee got into customer success a bit was working with as a weird turn of events started working with like international sports organizations so i traveled to australia new zealand boston portland madrid um doing customer success for international sports tournaments like tennis tournaments uh nba team like the portland trailblazers and uh um, the uh, MLS team and in, in, uh, from the Patriots, so the um, New England Revolution. Um, so that was like really cool experience, super young, but like learned a ton, got really tangible experience there. Um, and also went through a few startup accelerator programs, so Techstars, DMZ, um, really got my hands into the thick of it and really started to love entrepreneurship. Um, I realized there there wasn't the greatest culture at one of the the places I didn't really like my values. I found out this later through coaching that my values did not align with those of the founders. And that was a big source of tension within myself. Mm. Um, and I was also not great at bringing up conflict. I was not, I did not like I a lot of kind of internalized stuff that I was just like, Oh, I need to figure this out myself. I need to change this myself. Mm. Uh, when it was in fact just a conflict that I needed to verbalize and express to other individuals. So that kind of, that led to me leaving um, there. I was like, at this point, I was, what was I? I was in fourth year, fifth year, something like that. And I was like, I just want to finish my degree now. Like I've been kind of coasting along because I, to be honest, checked out of school a little bit because I was like learning so much in the real world. And so I was just like, well, let's get this degree over with just so I can also make my parents happy because they want to see a graduation. Yeah. They invested a yeah. lot of money, but also <laughs> it's just like a good, like 
I'm so close. I was like four or five credits away. I was like, I'll just finish it. Um, so did that. Then I started doing some freelance marketing consulting. I was like, I want to experiment building my own brand. Um, so I was like, set up my own kind of self business thing, did like uh, mar content marketing for startups. Um, so really started honing my skills in content marketing, content creation, um, got earned a bit of money there. And then from there, I applied to a program called Next 36, um, which is for young entrepreneurs um, to helps them kind of advance, find co-founders, get some funding. Um, that's where I met my, my two co-founders now from, from Crescendo. And so we, we really kind of started out coming together around a shared desire to create social change, hmm. um, but believed that it had to be driven by a business model. We didn't really believe in the nonprofit model. It's like you need to have a billionaire back, backing you or like just, it just wasn't sustainable. We viewed like you have to constantly rely on government grants. Like it's just not a great, it didn't make sense to me as a model to create large scale, sustain, mm -hmm. sustainable change. Um, and so we started throwing around ideas, different things. And one that just really resonated with all of us was the, what had happened with me too and black lives matter. Like it was just like, it was, it had been growing for a few years, but it just really hit like a climax where I think the, it was right around um, the the big one, Charles Weinstein, or was it, is that, yeah, I think that's the name. Uh, oh, but yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah, Weinstein. I think that was yeah, yeah the the big kind yeah. of the big one, and like also yeah. Uber and like everything that came out there. Um, so that was really the right around the time we were like, shit, this is a huge problem. We have all experienced kind of exclusionary culture, like it felt feeling like we don't belong. We want to be part of the solution here. Um, so we, from there, we just dove headfirst into research, um, just obsessively because we weren't experts in the field. We just experienced the problem and we we're like, we have some great skills and we can apply it and bring a new perspective to this work. And so we started doing user interviews, market research, talking to individuals in HR, diversity inclusion consultants, employees, um, kind of all across the, like mapping out the system of, um, like diversity inclusion problems within organizations. And at first, our idea was that we were going to develop a anonymous reporting tool. Um, a couple problems came up, though. One, the we, they don't need more reporting uh, because if you look at an anonymous reporting tool, it doesn't like functionally work because one big problem is that if you report to HR, in order for them to do anything about it, they need information and details. If you give information and details, you are now outing yourself and opening yourself up to negative repercussions. Mm -hmm. So if you don't trust the organization, you're never going to report with your name on it. So they can't do anything about it. So then it won't fix the problem. <laughs> so it was like, this is okay. This is not the solution. Um, but what we did find is that the current model for doing any type of education or awareness building was so broken. It was mm. like, Oh, let's do one workshop a year. That's going to change our people and they're not going to be biased. Like that doesn't make sense yeah. because a three hour workshop is not going to change the way you've lived your entire life mm -hmm. and the way your brain is wired. Cause bias isn't just, you don't just decide to have bias. It's biases shortcuts that your so, brain yeah. makes in order to speed up your processing speed. So you just, Oh, I'm going to make an assumption based off something I saw in like half a second. And so that's why I'm going to make this decision. It's just your, how your brain functions. And so that's not going to be unwired in three three hours, um, three so hours we, with a charismatic speech. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get real pumped. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like you yeah. get a lot of people excited, but then it falters off. It's like, Oh, well what now? 
it's like, uh, well, here's a PDF, read it and uh, do, do things. <laughs> it's like, that's not going to make sustainable change. Um, and so we started digging into this more. It's like, okay, can we th rethink a new model for this education? And so we're thinking, okay, we need something continuous. Um, it has to be relevant to the employee. So like a lot of the complaints were that, hey, this, we got an unconscious bias workshop and it was just like unconscious bias 101, but we've done that for four years. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's no progression. There's no advance. Like it's either not advanced enough. It's too advanced. It's not specific enough to my lived experience and what I'm seeing in the world. Like talking to me about systemic racism and all these things is like, yes, they're important concepts, but if the person doesn't care in the first place, they're not going to do anything with that information. It's just like knowledge that is going to be stored in the back of their brain and not used if it gets stored at all. And so the idea was, okay, how can we make this more relatable? And what we found was that individuals were going to social media to learn about the experiences of other people. They were digging through, they're watching videos, reading articles, and that's how they were actually learning that when we found people, because there, there were no options inside companies, they were doing this on their own. And so we thought, okay, let's take that process. We'll do the research. We'll source the content. We'll put it into different buckets, like create learning paths out of it. Um, so that's kind of what Crescendo started to become. It's like this social media content driven uh, learning tool, mm. all focused on the stories of different individuals so that you could start to actually understand the human experience um, involved with inclusion work instead of like the theory and the practical, like all these things. And then that has really, it's kind of evolved and grown as we've gotten more customers and built user, got a lot of user feedback and that now what it looks like is uh, we help global companies launch successful diversity inclusion programs. Cause kind of the key insight that we found is that you can do whatever you want with a diversity inclusion program. If you don't have people adopt it or use it, it's, it doesn't, yeah. it's not going to change anything. It's yeah. so what we really focus on is like, how can we make diversity inclusion as relevant and interesting as possible to every single individual in that company, whether they work in sales, marketing, they live in India, Japan, mm -hmm. Singapore, Ottawa, like Toronto, down in the States. It's like, how can we make this relevant to where you live, what you do, what your current priorities are, um, and then provide data back to the company about what are people are actually engaging with so they can build more intelligent programs going forward um, that are more tuned to the needs and interests of their employees. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of where we are right now. And my brief story turned into 20 minutes or whatever. <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it so much. Well, first, like, thank you for being so open and honest. Um, one of the biggest things that I've kind of found on my personal journey is if I'm not just being open and just sharing everything off the cuff, wearing my heart on my sleeve, I'm not being my best self. So I, I totally get that. I do appreciate the saying this, how, how open you are. And, you know, it's not easy to talk about the, the ucky stuff or like the parts of ourselves that we don't like looking back at. Um, but there's some strength in that and there's a lot to learn through that. So like, thank you for that. Um, my pleasure. It, it's pretty cool to see the, the progression almost of yourself throughout the whole, the whole process. Right. And a couple of, of themes that I, I, I you're able to, pick up pretty pretty easily just from how you lay it out and from relaying it back to my life as well you know one of them is just this persistent need to fill your time with stuff and how you've kind of taken that as pouring energy into like like on your website you mentioned like pouring energy in these endeavors to improve my feelings of self-worth whereas instead of pouring that energy into 
others or other outside things is now you're trying to take that and pour it into yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Cause I've only recently, like I've kind of known it. It's been like an inkling in the back of my head, but I've only really started to address it in the past few months is that mm-hmm. like part of the, like the problem and the reason that I started drinking was that I didn't feel good about myself. I wanted to change myself, wanted to be a different person, have a different identity, fit in with different groups of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I stopped drinking and using, yes, it solved a lot of problems for me and like the the physical stuff, it helped with a lot of mental stuff. I started working through my emotions, understanding my fears, my anxieties and going through the 12 steps of AA, which was hugely beneficial, but I never dealt with those feelings of like not being good enough, not, not, not having like the, being the right fit. I need, always needed to improve. And so that really, that manifested in, like, I kind of told you that is like dive headfirst into school, the gym, and then student groups and then startups and then doing my own thing and then crescendo. And it was just like nonstop. And I would just go through like a year period and then be like, Oh no, I need to go to the next, next, next. Mm -hmm. Um, that's not sustainable. Um, and that's where it really like hit me. I guess it was originally like six months ago when I just uh, October or something like that, where I just like completely broke down um, and was having like these, just like I was could go to one meeting and then just I would fall. I was like, no, I'm done for the day. Like I'm anxious and then I want to lie in bed and then I get depressed because like, oh, I'm not doing stuff. I'm not productive. Mm-hmm. Um, and my whole, like it was like my self-worth was based around my productivity and my output. And it just like, in sales, <laughs> in sales. And that's tough because you're going to get no's, especially early on as a startup, you're going to get a lot of no's. And so when my self-worth went up and down like a yo-yo based off, if we were closing deals, that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I've kind of learned about that is that I need to accept and love myself. Mm-hmm. So like one of the, it was interesting. I was doing, I was going through therapy my therapist, this was a very challenging exercise. <laughs> she told me to go write down everything that I liked about myself. Mm. And I did that and I was like, okay, okay, we're good. And then she was like, okay, now read this to me. And I just shriveled up into a ball. I was like, no, no, I can't do it. <laughs> and I was just staring at her and I was like, like I was having trouble talking and then I was giggling. I was reading through this like mind map of things that I liked about myself. And I was just like laughing so awkwardly. And then she was just sitting there letting me like sit with it. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> this is weird. It's the Same most nice. uncomfortable. It's so <laughs> uncomfortable. Cause like for me, it was embedded into my head. I was like, Oh, I can't say good things about myself. Cause that's bragging. Mm. I can't look like I'm bragging to the world. I have to be humble. I have to, like, yeah, I have to like be low on myself and like, I can't acknowledge the things that I do well. Um, and like you talked about these unconscious biases that we bring into our day to day. And, you know, we got to also take a look at the unconscious biases that we bring about ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. like you're saying is uh, like years of low self-worth thinking I'm not good enough. Like you're saying, even as like internalized bullying. Right. Mm-hmm. And like learn, try, learning to unpack that, learning that acceptance, learning that you know self-compassion, that self-love, it's a difficult, difficult journey with a yeah. lot of uncomfortabilities along the way. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, now, you know, something else you, you, were, you were going along with here is 
you know, you mentioned the addiction side and I mean, I've, you know, I, my dad is like, I think 24 years sober at this point. I grew up, you know, around AANA. Um, I worked in alcohol and drug recovery facility for a while. Um, one of the, probably the best ways I've understood addiction is addiction. The opposite of addiction is connection. And I think that's about Johan Hari, I believe his name is. It was, I saw like a Ted talk anyways. <laughs> and it, it makes so much sense is, like when we're in these addictive states, um, like you mentioned, you, you're so many things that if in, a, if in a, the right mind state, you probably never would have done, right? Or it's just, you didn't feel connected to others. You were always trying to show out for others to get that, I guess, self-worth that maybe you didn't see in yourself at that time, trying to fill that with other things, fit into groups, all that. How do you find that connection in your day-to-day today? And I guess, how does that help you to stay sober, to stay, you know, on the path that you're on and to keep moving forward? It's hard. Um, like even still, I struggle with it at times, particularly with COVID. Yeah, um, yeah especially. Like I was talking to my co-founder earlier this morning and I was like, I feel disconnected from everything. It's mm-hmm. like I have all these calls, whether it's internal team meetings, mm-hmm. it's like client meetings, it's all this stuff. Um, and then I just like kind of shrink in the evening and I watch Netflix or I do some yoga, like whatever. I just like stick to myself cause I don't want to be on screens. And I just like had lost the, I felt like I was losing personal connection with all of my friends. Like I had my parents, which was huge, but it's like, that's not the entire picture. Like they're part, a huge part of it, but it's like also my friend circle, my, my colleagues on like a personal level. And so I just noticed like I had not been taking the time and in like carving out the time in my schedule to make those authentic, like non-work connections, like the really not that work connections aren't authentic, but like the authentic isn't the right word. It's like the personal life connections, uh, yeah. whatever you like friendships and that, that type of thing. So I wasn't putting time there. And so it's, it's something that I'm always improving on. Like before COVID, it was a bit better. Like I had a, had my roommate, um, best friends, um, hanging out, but now I'm like back here just with family. And so that's been weird. Um, but I think something that I, I mean, part of the launching the website, uh, which was three weeks ago or whatever, was also like looking for others to connect with like, who are like-minded, who, who had similar visions of what they wanted to do in the world. Um, the change they wanted to create. And so I guess that's also part of it. Um, but yeah, it's just like looking to find other like-minded individuals um, who are like open and just like great. And I've also I found through um, my experience coming out and like having, cause that was part of the thing that really messed with my head and my identity back in October was having slept with men for the first time and mm-hmm. like exploring relationships with trans women. It was just like, I had never considered this for myself beyond being like a straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was like a big shift for me in terms of identity and understanding of myself, but it's also become, I feel like so freeing and open, like just like being able to, like I found a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community are just super accepting and open-minded and uh, like, it's definitely not perfect. There's a lot of problems um, as well with any community, but um, there, there's a lot of acceptance there, open-mindedness. And I just love that. And so I think having defined my own personal values, what I value about like what I value in the world, what I care about um, has really helped me find others who have similar values. And that's Mm -hmm. really where we connect. Yeah. 
And I mean, you know, our identities are a growing entity. There's never, it's never, might be never solid. It's always fluid, but what was that journey like of building, you know, your and understanding and, and learning more about your identity and, and trying to build that healthy relationship with your identity? What, what was that like? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely like the work started at the beginning of AA when I started reflecting, doing the step four, um, reflecting on, it's like all the, it's like all the people you're angry at or all the like things you feel like people have slighted you. Um, and then you take a step back and you're like, okay, what was my part in all of these things? Mm-hmm. Like where am I pointing the finger and where is it my blame to take? Um, so that was kind of the first piece because then it helped me identify my character flaws, um, what I was afraid of. Um, and that really started to help me do this work around understanding my identity. And then I kind of like stepped off of it a bit. Like I started again, going through all the student group stuff and like that became my identity and then startup stuff became my identity. So mm-hmm. I kind of went back to the old habits. Um, but then I think after the startup that I worked at, um, and had like the negative experience, I was also very uncertain of myself. I was like, do I want to do entrepreneurship? Is this what I want? Is this what it's going to be like? Um, so I actually, I had a friend of a, like a friend of my dad's introduced me to his wife or something like that. Anyways, I worked with a coach, um, and she kind of helped me understand my values, um, worked through the Enneagram model, um, if you're familiar with it. And then we just started to understand like, what, like, what do I care about? Like, what is my measuring stick in terms of values and like the people that I want to be associated with and the type of company that I want to run in the future? Um, what are the things that I care about? And so it really came down to actually the values that I've learned from AA, which was honesty, open-mindedness and willingness. And I was like, mm-hmm. as long as I embed these into my life, I'm going to be good. Like I will like, it'll help me. It'll guide me. It'll like keep me moving. Um, and so those values became a big part of my identity. It's like, I want to be open. I want to be honest and I want to like be willing to do what it takes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And so that, those really guided me through a lot of my decisions, through, um, my views, um, and, and the kind of life choices that I made. And so those were a big part of it. And then more recently with the kind of the, the piece around sexuality and exploring that it's like been honestly, a lot of it has been around exploring my boundaries Mm -hmm. um, and like where are the boundaries of what I am comfortable with. And because I'm coming into this new part of myself um, that I don't yet know and I need to explore. And so I need to go along and kind of push a boundary and then be like, oh, no, this, okay, that's where I feel uncomfortable. Let's take a step back um, into that that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of going back and forth, playing around with that in different areas of my life. And so that's been a lot of what I've been working through in therapy um, I've got to, now I've got a new therapist. I switched because of insurance stuff. Um, just cause the last one was a psychotherapist and my, I found out like a thousand dollars in that my insurance does not cover that, <laughs> which is a bit rough, but like it was worth, it was yeah. worth it. I got, yeah. but now working with a social worker and his focus is on masculinity, sexuality, identity. And so we've been really digging into some of this, looking at white privilege as well. Um, cause I've got quite a bit of it, um, and need, need to talk about it. That's a big part of my website as well is I want to make like white privilege more accessible to, to folks who might be very uncomfortable with it. Cause there's definitely a lot of guilt, shame, hmm. like all that that comes up when you dig through your privilege and where, where does it show up in your life and where does it not? Um, what's hard work? What is privilege? 
are they the mm-hmm. same thing? Um, so really looking through all those things. And so I think a lot of my, my reflection, my therapy, now the website is really about exploring my identity and kind of sharing that journey with the world as well. So others can, can do it too. Yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like a, a journey from insecurity to more security. And just like the, the uncomfortabilities, the, the things that caught through that process. And yeah, I didn't want to talk about that, like the, that privilege, the inequities that you kind of found through this process. Uh, so yeah, if you want to just talk a little more about that, like what did you find through the process mm-hmm. and how has that changed you? I'm assuming for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think one, like a, like my life is kind of a perfect microcosm of it. So let's take a look. We'll go back to my story where, um, with, uh, with addiction. So in, in high school, I used to, so I, how do I, okay. So there's, I was in trouble with the police at one point in time during my grade 12 year. Um, and because my, um, because I was a good kid, cause I had good grades. I, I just made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I was 17. Oh, he just made a mistake mm-hmm. that I, if I'm a, a black man, zero percent, like I'm going to juvie most, like almost hundred percent, like guarantee you, I would like exact same situation probably would have been in juvie. Hmm. Like I was in a nice neighborhood, good socioeconomic status. I was a white guy. My parents were like white, like guarantee you that is privilege. Hmm. Um, and not, I like literally no, nothing other than like the color of my skin, uh, what you switch that up and it's not the same situation. So there's, there's one example. Um, you look at privilege from like, again, socioeconomic status, like my parents put me through university. They paid for my tuition. They paid for my rent because of that. I was able to work in startups, take unpaid internships, uh, get exposure to all these incredible programs, learn from incredible mentors um, because I was able to afford living um, without needing to work for money. Um, so that gave me a huge access to networks, to skills. I developed faster than my peers because of the exposure to those opportunities. I was able to take risks because I had that fallback plan of like, Oh, if this doesn't work out, I can just go home and live with my parents and it's all good. They'll, they'll take me, I'll live in the basement. It won't be ideal, but like I'll have food, shelter, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could take that risk and then those start to compound. Like when you look at the trajectory of crescendo and where it's gone and how we've gotten here the, the entrepreneurship program that I got into and met my co-founders at I got into because I was able to take those risks earlier get startup experience start working through that and and gain those skills to be an entrepreneur and then from there that program got us more network more money um, like more access to talent more access to amazing mentors um, and so those things compounded and even like the Techstars, the program I'd been through with the first startup I worked at, we, I went to like a demo day. It was in Boston. I kind of, I flew down um, and I met the managing director of Techstars Montreal. And then a few months down the line, we got into Techstars Montreal because that was my first point of contact with him. That got us $120,000 USD. It got us our first like capital. And then we raised another like $300 at the end of the program. So there's our first 400K again, based off the relationship that I made because I had another relationship because I could take a risk. Um, and so like that just cascading factor of network effects, like literal, like, like knowing other people in certain spaces allows you to connect with more people. And as you get more, it establishes your reputation around the industry is so it's just like, it all compounds. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things, it's like, it's compounding privilege. And so, yes, I did work hard. Like, don't get me wrong. I worked very hard throughout this entire process, but like the reality is that I was also not on like an even playing field with everyone else in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like recognizing that does not mean it doesn't discredit my work. It doesn't discredit my hard work. What it does is acknowledge like, yes, there were certain benefits, but now how can I, now that I have some I have a platform, I have some privilege, like what can I do to help those who might not have as much or open doors? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't always have to be helping. So that's another thing, a very important kind of distinction is like, it's not like you going in to save the world Mm -hmm. and you being like, oh, well, I know what's best for you. It's listening to those communities, understanding places where they don't have, for example, like if they didn't have that socioeconomic status to get into that university, like do, like what can you do to kind of break down those walls and break down those barriers Um, and so a big thing for me is like opening my network to other kind of like places who don't have that same network. So example, like looking at different, um, mentorship opportunities, like where can I, I don't want to necessarily go help out like an Ivy league student help working on their startup. Like they have, they, they got enough. Like I want to go help someone who doesn't have a high, like high school degree or university degree, um, trying to start their business. And it's like, okay, well, how can I share my knowledge from these like super prestigious accelerator programs? How can I share my network? How can I connect you to people? Like that's how you can start to like leverage your privilege to support and kind of even the playing field a little bit for others. Hmm. That's, that's really cool. It's uh, it all, it, like you said, the, uh, the principles that AA openness, honesty, uh, willingness, you can see that in all that as well is not just having that information and like feeling guilty for, for hey, well, like I have privilege. Well, ugh, sucks. No, yeah. like actually doing something with that. And like you're saying, not trying to save the world, but trying to open up those avenues for others, which I, I think is, you know, it's a pretty cool thing, but it's not an easy thing to look at. Like you're saying, it's not an mm-hmm. easy lesson to learn. And in practice, I'm sure it's nothing like easy. Like it's not easy. <laughs> um, no. And I guess that, that we can kind of zoom out and just the whole journey of self-discovery is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy mindset to get into. How do you stay in a mindset of willingness to be open and, and I guess willingness to be wrong, I guess is a way of thinking about it, right? Like willingness to not always be right. Willingness to check yourself. Like how do you stay in that space? Uh, it's not easy. It's yeah. constant work. Like it's yeah. like, it's like, cause like even like this week, like there's places where I was being a bit stubborn with work when I was like, my opinion is the right. I was like, this is true. This is like, I, and I didn't, and I like shut down conversations in non healthy ways. And I think that also comes up for me when I get more anxious. Like I've been feeling anxious this week. I've haven't like, it's been building up. And so that came out in not very constructive ways. And so it's like, I'm not like, because I'm here talking about this, I'm not, that doesn't make me perfect. It does, like I'm not at all. Like I'm still working through this journey. And I think that's super important for everyone to realize it's like, you're never done um, with this, but it's, it's part of life. It's like, how do you want to live your own life pretty much? And like, for me, what I've found is that when I'm vulnerable, when I talk about my experiences, I attract other people who also share those experiences and it brings me joy. It brings me connection. Like for me with the coaching, one of the things that I found about myself is that I love relationships. Like I just love other people. I love other humans interacting with other humans, like being around people. It gives me energy um, it makes me happy. And I, the, those really important relationships are what I crave in life. And so for me, a big part of that is like, well, I need to understand myself. I need to love myself. I need to understand 
Like, why do I want to connect with other people if I want to continue connecting with other people? And so for me, it's just like kind of the way I live life. And now it's embedded into everything I do. It doesn't feel separate. It's just like, oh, this is part of a constant journey of managing my own mental health and like helping keep, keep stable, keep happy, keep connected to others. Um, and so like, I mean, a couple tactical things that I do, like every single night is my gratitude journal. So I've been doing it since I started the coaching, maybe two and a half years, um, every single night I commit to writing three things that I am grateful for. Um, because it feels more approachable than saying I'm going to journal every night. Like I do literally sometimes it's a bullet list of like, I say like 12 or 15 words, but I did it. I wrote it down. It's that habit. And so sometimes if I'm feeling like crap, I'll write two pages or if I'm feeling great, I'll write a lot, but at least every night I commit to those three things that I'm grateful for. And it kind of ends on a reflective note for the day of just like, okay, like here's, here's what I do have in my life. Even if a bunch of stuff is not working out, I am grateful for these three things. And there's always going to be something there. Um, and so I think that's like a really crucial practice for myself. I've been on and off with meditation. Um, I've got headspace. I use it here and there if I'm feeling real anxious. Um, I also have like physical activity is huge for me. Um, I have not been the greatest at it, <laughs> but, and I like, especially it's, weird. We have more time now, but I've done less physical activity because I like going to a yoga studio and I like being like hot yoga, like one hour session. Like mm -hmm. I love it. But now I've been doing some stuff in my basement, um, a bit shorter, but yeah, those are, can't remember the original question, but oh, no, we I'm sure you nailed it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, like I said, it's especially now it's like, I'm a big routine guy and my routine's gotten absolutely turned upside down. And yeah. I, I, you were mentioning, you know, there's certain things that you do every day to, to try and keep on top of your mental health, to, to do what you can for yourself. And I think that's so, so important. Um, you know, I, I, I look at daily routine. I think that the gratitude journal, first, you're going to love the last question I ask you on this podcast. So <laughs> I can't wait to get to that. But just, is there anything else that you do for self-care or any other focuses that you take to that kind of section of your life? I think um, something that's really important um, is uh, feedback. So like asking for feedback and being explicit about it, like still something again that I, I'm working on and I'm um, trying to always trying to get better at. But I think one of the big important things as well, when it comes to understanding your own privilege and where you sit, like additionally, like another form of privilege now is that I'm a co-founder. Mm -hmm. um, so even within our organization, we have 10 people, but something I need to be conscious of and I need to be better at this is like, recognizing that it's not always like when I say something, it carries different weight. It's just the nature of the organizational structure and like being in an organization, like when I say something, but I need to recognize that, but it also has its benefits. If I'm like, if I ask for feedback, I'm like, please give me feedback. That's going to mm. give someone the floor or feel, make them feel more comfortable to share feedback with me. Um, because if I don't ask for it, there's like still like, even if they've given it to me in the past, there's still that uncertainty about like, Oh, are, how are they going to take this? Yeah. Cause it's kind of critical. Like, are they, uh, yeah. so like asking for that feedback is so crucial, especially like for me being a white man doing work in diversity inclusion spaces. Like I need to show that I am here to learn that I am here to support and help um, and be open to taking feedback. And like, I've made mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong. Like I've made lots of mistakes but it's like having the mindset of like, I, okay, shit, I'm sorry. I did not, that was not my intention. I am noting this down. I'm going to get better. I'm going to improve. 
um, and and then doing my best to improve and, and moving forward. So I think that's real important um, as well. Like therapy um, is just like, it's not that like you, you can have your people close to you, but it's still like having a someone who understands the inner workings of like the brain a bit better <laughs> than some uh, than the average population, um, and also being a kind of non-judgmental third party um, mm-hmm. makes it easier. Um, and also, actually, something that I did last night, which was good, was just like calling my room, my roommate Haman and just like talking to him and like kind of we'd like just like getting on the phone, we each kind of unload a little bit and vocalize things sometimes where we're like, Oh yeah, like this is so obvious. Why am I not doing this right now? (laughs) Like I've been stuck in my own head for too long. And so getting out of your own head is, Mm -hmm. is always helpful. Easier said than done, but so, so (laughs) helpful. (laughs) Yes. Um, No, I I love every bit of that. I I think uh, like one of my favorite quotes is from Voltaire. It says perfection is the enemy of good. And like when we're so caught up in trying to be perfect and like not want to show any flaws, we're not really living like authentic humans mm-hmm. Like to human is to error. So like being open with that, willing to learn, willing to correct, willing to like you're saying, asking others, Hey, like, what can I learn from this? How can I improve? I think it's not an easy place to be, but I think that's, that it, it's an, it's like another window to self-discovery. Right. And like you mentioned is, you know, if values aren't aligning with the founder and, and like, something along that journey doesn't line up, there's going to be a, a disconnect. And I think that that speaks to anxiety as well. Like you were mentioning uh, with, with exploring your identity is, is pushing those boundaries and, and learning, you know, where those boundaries are and what those boundaries mean. I think that has a lot to do with anxiety as well mm-hmm. is learning what works for you, learning what your boundaries are and learning how to approach those boundaries. And anxiety is one of those things I think everyone experiences, but to varying degrees. And I think anxiety can be a wonderful teacher. I think it can, it can show, I guess, just where wait, I, there's lessons to learn, I guess, along the way is my, is my main point. Is there anything that you found that you've learned through not, not just anxiety, but just through more, some of the struggles that you've gone through? Like what have been some of the main, I guess, lessons that, that you've taken from that? Mm-hmm. A huge question, but <laughs> take question. it wherever you will. And yeah. So I think like there's like more like high level things and then there's like tactical things that I've mm-hmm. learned. So I think I'll break that into two pieces. So like yeah. the high level is like being able to like not fight it not fight your feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is related to anxiety, but also any other feeling. Like if you're feeling it, like that's okay. Embrace Mm -hmm. it. You're a human. We have emotions. It's okay to feel. And just like reiterating that for yourself, like it's so important to remind yourself, like, yes, I'm allowed to feel. And sometimes it can be very hard to feel. If you're feeling negative emotions, like I'm still bad at this. I don't sit in emotions. <laughs> I need to do this. Actually, my therapist told me this last week. He's like, practice mm-hmm. sitting in a mo- Next time you feel upset, sit there. Yeah. Like deal, don't hop into the next thing. Just sit there and, yeah. and de- deal with it. And like, same with boredom. I'm not good at being bored. I listen to podcast music almost 24 seven when I'm working, not working. I'm literally I can't shut my brain off sometimes. So it's just like, I need to, something I need to get better at, but something I to remind myself is like, don't fight your, your feelings and those things. So that's kind of a high level thing when it relates to anxiety specifically. I think 
recognizing my triggers, um, like understanding what and being able to identify what things in my environment, Mm -hmm. uh, what things in my personal life, in my work life, all these different areas of life, what trigger me and how can I kind of manage and understand those and like kind of accept them and like deal again, deal with it on a like tactical level. I think something that I love is um, kind of the concept of the window of tolerance Hmm. where I learned this from my therapist. You've got kind of like your upper bound and your lower bound at the upper bound. That's when you hit like an anxious period at the lower bound of the window, you'll go into a depressive period. But then over time, as more stressors kind of baseline stressors appear in your life, that window gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Hmm. Um, And when you can stay in that window, you're perfectly fine. You manage but then when you go outside the window, it becomes unmanageable. And so that was a great frame of reference for me to understand, like, where is my head at right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you need, what to get better at is like identifying, okay, when I'm at like a, like hitting the near the, the edge of that window, going up, going up, going up when, okay, okay. I'm feeling anxious. I need to step back from the computer, go take a walk, like maybe do a meditation, do some yoga, just take that step back so that I don't go off and start spiraling. Um, because otherwise it's just like, it, I, I, yeah. I'll lose it. And it's so much harder to come back if you, rather than if you can acknowledge like and recognize when you're starting to get near that window mm-hmm. and then have your, your kind of interventions for yourself yeah. to start deescalating or escalating, whatever, if you're feeling depressed or anxious. So that framework has been super helpful, like on a tactical level for me, um, when, when dealing with anxiety and yeah. So I think those are a couple of good things. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, well, 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 we'll go on to the, some of the questions that I ask every, every person that mm-hmm. comes on the show. Like typically these conversations can go a thousand ways. Like one time we talked about Ottawa traffic. Another time we just talked about football for an hour. So I, I started asking this question because I love to get off topic, but this show has been very on topic. So I just pat on the back to both of us there. <laughs> what is one tip you have for a satisfying and healthy life? And yes, one tip, one ju- tip. just one, oh, just yeah. one. Not that there hasn't been forty-seven already said uh, yeah. on this episode, but the one tip is listen to this podcast and write down all of the tips. That I've been- <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I think um, one tip, like honestly, I would just say, like, when in doubt, lean on the side of vulnerability. Mm. I've never said that before. I made that up on the spot, but I like. I love it. it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> When in doubt, lean into the vulnerability. Yes. Yeah, because it's like, if you're like not sure, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll share. And mm. like, you'll be surprised at how many other people come out of the woodworks and are like, yeah, I felt that too. Mm-hmm. Like I've dealt with that. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for like, yeah. yeah. So I like yeah. it. And the inverse of that is to close off to break that connection with others to try and hide and shame. So I, I love that. Oh yeah. When in doubt, lean into the vulnerability. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Perfect. Yes. So if people want more on the spot nuggets like that, where can they find you online? Uh, yes. StephanCollenberg.ca. Super simple. Um, I'll spell it S T E F A N K O L L E N B E R G.ca. So that's my, my new personal website. Um, so you can follow me along there. Perfect. Any social medias? Um, so my name on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, all uh, at Stefan Kberg. Same thing on Twitter. Um, it's pretty easy to find. Perfect. 
Thank you so much for coming on. I know, uh, like I said, it, it's been a pretty quick process of, of uh, you know, trying to set this up. So I do appreciate that. I, I think it was an awesome conversation. I think, I think it's one of those episodes you're going to have to go back through three or four times to get everything through it. And I, I'm excited to listen back to this myself. Um, so thank you so much. I do appreciate your time and your, your honesty, your openness. It's, it will resonate with someone. I can guarantee that. Um, real quick, what's something you're grateful for? <laughs> You're right. I would yeah, love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, today, I'm grateful for Sage, my co-founder, for talking me through some shitty feelings this morning. And we had started, it was a meeting about conflict, and then it became a meeting about coming together and creating better team morale and helping de-stress everyone. So mm. grateful for her. Um, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. I, I, I can't uh, express my appreciativeness, my gratitude <laughs> enough. So thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Bye-bye.